1912. Shizo Kanakuri was an athlete on the Japanese team for the fifth Olympiad that took place in Stockholm, Sweden. He was there to run the marathon. Travel being different back in that day than what it is today, it, took, it was an 18-day journey for him to get to where the Olympics were going to be held. And it was not a comfortable or easy journey. And so once he arrived, he was already worn out um, from the great length of travel that he had to be on. And then he experienced what others had already understood in Stockholm was that they were in the time of the season where the sun never actually went down. They call it the white nights. So there's always some sunlight. So he wasn't resting well. That combined with he was eating the local food that he was not used to started giving him some indigestion problems. And then it was unusually warm for this race. And several of the athletes experienced hyperthermia where they were overheating. So he makes a valiant effort to represent his country and his name well. But halfway through the race... He cannot continue anymore. His body is not going to go any further. So, Shizo decides that he's going to have to drop out. So, halfway through the marathon, he just walks off of the course. And he's in so much shame and embarrassment that he doesn't notify anybody. He just gets on a train and goes back home. And so, he was listed as incomplete, did not finish. And it, a local legend rose up around him that he was the lost Japanese runner, that somehow he just disappeared. Obviously, they knew where he was, but the local legend still grew anyway. And so, in 1967, years later, the Stockholm Committee invited him to come back and complete the race that he'd started. So, he agreed to that, and so they set up a big event, and they allowed him to start from where he deviated from the course. He ran the original course again, and when he concluded, they clocked his time at 54 years, 8 months, <laughs> 6 days, 5 hours, 32 minutes, and 20 seconds. Now, if you thought you could never run a marathon, that alone should bring you hope right there. They interviewed him at the end. They said, how do you feel? And he said, he said, wow. He said, a, a lot has changed in the time. He said, it's been a long, long journey. In the process, I got married, had six kids and ten grandchildren. <laughs> but I completed the race. I share that because oftentimes in the New Testament, Paul compares the Christian faith to running a race. And Paul is a man that when he encountered Jesus, he set about to go around and plant churches that gathered in the name of this Jesus that had died and rose again. And Paul will often compare that ex experience of faith to running a race. And so every time he goes to a church, he wants to see their faith flourish. He wants to see it grow. And this is exactly the situation that's going on in this church that we're looking at that received this letter that we call 1 Thessalonians. This church in Thessalonica 
was a young church. In fact, we believe, once again, this is Paul's earliest letter. And they are experiencing some persecution. We're going to talk about that today. So when Paul writes back to him, his hope, his encouragement, and we're going to see today that his prayer is that they are running this race all the way to completion. That nothing's knocking them off the course. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's got challenges. Yes, there are reasons and days and moments and opportunities that you're going to want to quit. But his hope for this church is that they would run a faithful race all the way to completion. In spite of the struggles that they're facing. So we're talking about what does it mean to be a disciple like that? An everyday, ordinary disciple that follows Jesus every day. So last week, in review, we looked at the part of the letter in the beginning part, one in chapters 1 and 2, where it says, Every day, disciples decide whose approval matters. As you run this race, who are you listening to cheer? Whose encouragement are you paying attention to? Because it is so easy for us to divert off and start listening to a different voice or set of voices that wants to send a different direction. Other thing we said was everyday disciples remember their calling. That we remember that there's a life that we've been called to. And every day we stand up, we wake up and realize that today I will be faithful to that calling. We'll trust that God's got tomorrow in his hands and today we'll wake up and we'll be faithful to the one that is calling us. And every day, disciples know the end of the story. We live with a hope of what the end will be like, with a truth and understanding of what the end will be like. And so Paul is writing once again to this church and saying, keep running, keep running, keep running, be faithful, do not be distracted, do not turn away, do not be disappointed, do not be uh, disgraced, do not be turned aside, keep running. And so, today I want us to launch in to the next part of this letter. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 17. And we're going to go through this area, 2.17 through 3.13. But as I read through this, there's going to be parts of this. that th- This is one of those parts of the letter that you're, you kind of wonder, what am I supposed to do with this? Trust me, I, I wondered all week long, what are we supposed to do with this? Because some of it is so intensely personal to Paul. And you're going to see lots of emotion come out. If your perspective or your thought is that Scripture, that the Bible, that the New Testament just kind of fell out of heaven, and it's got these, these bullet points, these phrases that we're just all supposed to memorize, what we have in God's Word is intensely relevant to the time it was written and because it's inspired you're going to find how intensely relevant it is to us today in this world these were written by real people to real people living real life and you're going to see that evidence today so what i did to help us get our minds around is, is i broke it up into three different parts that i'm going to kind of give you headers for what I think Paul is doing in each of these places. And so I I encourage you, if you've got one of the journals, I'm going to encourage you to write some things down. 
I'm going to encourage you to write some kind of headers down and, and identify different parts. And at the end, we're going to make some application because Paul is taking us somewhere with this. And his example and his practice is something for those of us that want to live as everyday disciples every day, we need to pay attention to. So here's how Paul begins with this. And the first part we're going to come to is what I'm just going to call the problem. So this first couple of verses, Paul's going to lay out a problem that he's having. And this is where I want you to start paying attention to how personal, how, how his heart is experiencing this struggle. Verse 17. But since we were torn away from you... Okay, we're going to pause just a second. Remember when we started this, Paul and Timothy and Silas show up in, in the city of Thessalonica. They begin to preach, and within weeks and months, there's a church there. They had incredible response. It is like a preacher's dream, what they, was going on. But because their response was so strong, the powers that be caught wind of it and realized that if this teaching that they'd already heard of in other places had disrupted the social order, had taken the status quo and knocked it off of its sink, this teaching was going to disrupt their businesses and their families and their way of life. And so they began to bring persecution. And in Acts 17, remember, we learned where they come and they try to arrest these men, but because they had already been warned, Paul, Silas, and they got out of town and they could not locate them. So that's when he says they were torn away from you. So since that moment, we were torn away. We didn't want to leave, but we had to leave. For a short time in person, since we were torn away for a short time in person, but not in heart. Okay. In other words, our heart has always been with you. We endeavored the more eagerly and with the great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus, his coming? So he's asking a question. This is a rhetorical question. For what is our hope? What's our joy? What's our crown? What's our, but what are we going to, when we stand before God, what are we going to boast about? Okay. How about that? I mean, that's some powerful words. What are we going to boast about? He says, is it not you? You're our glory and glory and joy. Paul loves this church. He loves the people here. And he's simply saying, I hate being away from you. It's hurting my heart. But just know this, that my heart's with you. And when I get to stand before the Lord, I'm going to say, look at that church. Look at how they're doing. That's the one I'm going to boast on. It seems a little uncomfortable. We're not used to language like that, are we? But Paul's saying, I'm so proud of what you've become. And so you see this emotion and he's now going to switch and start talking about what they're experiencing and what their common experience is together. But understand, everything that goes out from this part comes from a deep relationship. If you've ever thought church was just simply about the rules, this is not what Paul's getting at here. For Paul, it's about this connection and this relationship that has been formed because they both together love and follow Jesus. And they are 
are leaning into him. And that's what Paul's saying. Even though we're apart, together we're both seeking Jesus. We're both following Jesus. And he wants to encourage them in that. And so the next part that I'm going to tell you to label, the next several verses, you just write the word, the persecution next to it. So the problem is he can't get to him right now. He's trying, but the plans don't work out. He says that Satan's at work against him. It's not coming to fruition. And so now he's going to shift and talk about the persecution that, that they are experiencing. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Okay, So Paul is saying, we were away from you. We couldn't put up with it any longer. We had to hear from you. They could not fire off an email. They could not send a text. They had to send a messenger. And so they're sending one of their own. They're sending Timothy to go. And so we couldn't stand to be out of contact anymore with you. You, you had those moments where you've got a loved one. And especially in our world today where contact is so easy. And for some reason, there's a part of the time of the day that you're trying to get hold of them. And they're not answering their phone. They're not returning text messages. You, you can't find them on Life360, and suddenly you start getting worried. Now, the, we, we start getting worried after like 23 minutes right now, don't we? This has been months away, and they haven't had a chance to interact and had a word. And so they can't stand any longer. Their hearts are so drawn this way, they say, Timothy, you got to go. You got to go. You got to make the journey there, find out how they're doing, and then come back and, and tell us. So here in verse 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. Pay attention to that word. If you circle words, if you highlight words, circle that one. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Now, when he goes and he talks about these afflictions, what's he referring to? He is aware that the persecution that caused he and Silas and the others to leave town so quickly did not let up. It didn't just dissipate. He understands that this young church with these young Christians that are trying to follow Jesus, realize that there is a price that they're having to pay because they're saying that Jesus is Lord. Everybody else in the culture, everybody else in the city, everybody else around them, family members and friends are saying that Caesar is Lord. That was a profession that you had to make inside the Roman Empire. And for most people, whether they actually believed or not, it was no big deal for them to just go to the temple or to the place of, of worship every now and then and offer up that saying and do the sacrifice and go through the motions because what happens? You got to go on with life that way. And now there's this group of people that are going to go against the grain. And there's nothing special about them, but they're just weird because they don't play along. They don't follow the rules. And now they're saying something different. They're saying, no, Jesus is Lord. And they're not even willing, which is really strange, because they're not even willing to just go through the motions. Just, just play along like everybody else. Half of us don't believe this anyway. Just go with it. And here's a group that's saying, I can't. 
we won't. And so persecution, afflictions, are coming their way. Now at this point, we don't know exactly what kind it was. I imagine on some level it was definitely social and financial. It means social that their previous friend group now looks at them suspiciously. The circles where all their relationships were and their networks were maybe kicking them out, maybe ignoring them, not returning their phone calls, ghosting them. I don't know if they would say it that way, but that's what they're doing. And those that are involved in a trade are being kicked out of the guilds and the unions and the trade fairs because they're not playing by the rules. And so now their shop or their product or their service or whatever, they can't sell. They can't do business anymore. And it's costing them. And Paul's aware of it. And he's aware that if he doesn't encourage this church, he's worried about them because he doesn't want these afflictions to consume them and knock them off course from the race that they're running. But look at this next line. For you yourselves know we are destined for this. Paul is saying this is part of the Christian life. What you're experiencing is not some abnormality. It's not some fluke. You know yourselves what you're signing up for. This is part of it. The afflictions you're experiencing come because you're following Jesus. Now, those words are not very enticing in our modern world, are they? We tend to avoid gospel messages that send up and say, Come to Jesus, and you'll know that you're well within the circle of God's blessing when life gets really, really difficult and painful because you made that choice. We'll often hear a phrase where we quote Jesus, Jesus' own words. It says, Pick up my cross daily and follow me. And we've taken that phrase to mean almost any time you have to experience something uncomfortable. Well, I guess that's my cross to bear. Well, air conditioner went out, and that's my cross to bear. You know, lunch line was long, that's my cross to bear. Starbucks, order wrong, well, that's just my cross to bear. The cross to bear that Jesus referring to is exactly what Paul is referring to here. And it's not simply anything negative that happens to you. It is that which you encounter and you experience because you made a confession of faith. Because you say, Jesus is Lord. And Paul is saying, you know, we were destined for this. This is the way it's going to be. We follow one that went to a cross, why would we think our lives would end up somewhere else? Unfortunately for us, especially in this country, we get so confused because we've got this thing called the American dream in there. 
And we think if you live the right kind of life, you end up successful in your golden years because you're going to definitely live that long because you've lived a good life. You're going to live into the golden years. And at retirement, there's going to be this moment where your entire family is gathered around you, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and they're all singing praise to your name, and you're comfortable. Now, that's not a bad dream. I'm not knocking it. It's just not the one we're promised. Paul is saying you're promised that when you live a different kind of life as an everyday disciple, it brings everyday afflictions your way. My friend and fellow preacher, Rick Ashley, says it this way. When you're odd for God, it costs you something. And so we're called to live a different kind of life, different than the culture around us, and we live it every single day, and it has a price. And that's what Paul is worried about. He goes on this, in this part with the persecution. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, so Timothy's gone, we said, we sent him to you, and he's brought us the report back. And with eager ears, we were hungry to hear what he said. He's come back from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. He's brought us the good news. He's brought us the gospel message, the good news. Hey, when he came back, he was bragging on you. When he came down the road and walked through the door, he had a smile on his face on his face, and he says, you're not going to believe it. They're in faith, and love is growing in spite of the afflictions. And reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, so, so Paul, Paul's, he's in solidarity with them. He's in, in the same place with them. We're distressed. We know you're distressed. Together, we're fellow strugglers for Jesus. In all of our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. How we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, if you're standing strong in the Lord, that's what we're hearing about you. That's what's given us comfort. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now Paul's about to make a turn. We've heard great things. We know you're struggling. And we hear that your faith and your love are strong but I'm praying a prayer for you, Paul says. And so now he goes in to the part that's the prayer. And here's where we're going to camp out for the rest. Paul is praying for them because he still says there's something lacking in your faith. And this is where we need to just lean in because if Paul's praying for this church, what's he praying? And especially as one that wants to see this church do well and become the glory of God and, and boast on it, then what's he praying? Because I want that for us. And so here's what Paul prays. And so in, in beginning of verse 10, we have the prayer. And this is where we want to pay attention because here's Paul's prayer. This is one of three prayers that we have in the First Thessalonians letter. 
And this is the second prayer. So here's what he comes on and says. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. This is that may he find a way for us to get there. We want to be with you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. May he make you increase in this love for one another and for all. As we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I'm going to do three takeaways really quickly from this letter. Paul's saying to them, I know you're struggling. I know there's challenges. Don't give up the race. And to encourage them, he says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your love would increase. And I'm praying that your hearts would be blameless in holiness. I'm praying that you would be rooted, that you would be firm, that you would grow in these things that you're already growing in. And I want them just to increase. So here's three things I want you to pay attention to. Everyday disciples pray for other disciples. Paul is praying for this church. If you want to do something that blesses another follower of Jesus, you pray for them. Spend some time talking to God about them on their behalf. Praying what Paul prayed, that their love and their faith and their holiness, their strength would all increase and abound. Now, we often pray prayers that are materialistic. And sometimes we're frustrated when God doesn't answer those prayers. You want to see a prayer that God will answer? You begin to pray for other followers of Jesus. You pray for our elders at this church. You pray for our shepherds. You pray for the Bible class teachers. You pray for the ministers. I, I'm, I am blessed because other people I know are praying for me. Frequently I'll receive an email or a text message or somebody will stop me in the hallway and say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the message that you're going to preach. I'm praying for your preparation. I'm praying for your boldness. I'm praying for your faith. i got to acknowledge that I believe you can feel prayers. And I realize that when I stand up here and I share what I think is God's word or God's word is, is telling us, then I'm not doing it by myself because so many have prayed for me and you have participated already in this preaching process of what God is doing. And I'm just so grateful for that. So God's answering your prayers in that. I want to challenge the students. You guys need to be praying for Justin and Rose. We need to be praying for Rachel. We need to be praying for people in your small group, in your second hour. We need to be in a place where you are praying, praying, praying for others' faith and love to increase. Second thing goes hand in hand with this. Every day, disciples need the prayers of other disciples. So this is a two-way street. This is not just you praying. 
This is that you are in need of prayer. And we need to be able to acknowledge that. That's what Paul was saying. We share in this distress. We share in this affliction together. And so Paul is praying for them, and he acknowledges that they're praying for him. And so disciples need to receive the prayers of other disciples every single day. This means you need to be tied in to a body of believers that will be praying for you. This is why the Christian faith is not a solo sport. It is a team effort. You've heard me say before, your faith may be intensely personal. It was never designed to be private. Are you willing to share what you need praying for? Are you willing to invite someone else in? This is where... And I get this, not easy for us to start laying out our concerns for somebody else. But you need to be in a second hour group, a home group, a Bible study group. One of these groups where you got somebody else can on a regular basis say, here's how my faith needs to grow. Here's how my love needs to grow. Here's how my holiness needs to grow. I need you praying for that. And again, you're inviting God to answer that prayer. This is exactly what was going on between Paul and the the believers in Thessalonica. And the last thing is this. Everyday disciples pray for stronger faith, not easier circumstances. Did you notice what Paul does not pray for? Paul says, I know there's persecution. I know there's affliction. I know this is not easy. Paul does not pray for it to get easier for them. He never prays for the affliction and the challenges to go away, for the persecution to diminish. Paul is always praying that in the midst and in spite of the persecution, and perhaps because of the persecution, your faith would grow. Be very careful with what I say next. I believe that God heals the physical body. I, I, I do not dispute that. I think it's incredibly appropriate to pray for physical healing. I do think also it's a problem when all of our prayers are only biological, physical prayers. And I think what Paul is modeling for us here is an opportunity to pray for each other and pray for faith and strength and holiness and love to grow in each other in spite of whatever the circumstances are around us. So often we pray for the circumstances to go away. And Paul's showing us how to pray every day for the faith to increase inside us. But this is changing how I even want to pray for you. Because I, I want to I be on what Paul's on as far as his ministry. I, I want to follow that. So my prayer for us is going to be that we would be the place that our love and faith and holiness grows and grows, increases, despite whatever challenges come our way.
Can you just imagine for a moment what it would be like if here at this church, in this place, in this time, it became just normal, everyday experience where we're asking one another, what can I pray for you? How can I be praying for you? And it's not weird at all for you to walk up to somebody else that you know and love and trust and you have this kind of relationship that Paul has with this church and says, would you pray for this for me? And we're entrusting each other. I, I would suggest that a church that is practicing that and that becomes an everyday just part of our culture here and how we do it, that's a church that's going to glorify God in any culture that it drops down into. That's a church that when those that are outside look in and say, what is it about you that is so different? Why would you be willing to make these kind of claims? It seems odd to us, but we're strangely attracted to it because we can't figure it out now. And there seems to be something different there. Remember, Paul prays for them for their love to increase, not just for each other, but for all. Paul wants this church to be a light in the middle of the community that they're in. He says it's not by conforming to the culture, but it's by being holy in the midst of the culture and having a love that can only be defined by the love that God has for us. So I'm going to leave you with two questions. Who are you praying for? And who are you asking to pray for you? It would only seem right that I close this out with prayer. So if you would, I'm going to ask that you would stand and allow me, like Paul, taking a cue from him to bless you. And then Jeff will lead us in our song and we'll sing with great enthusiasm. Heavenly Father, for all those that worship as part of the Western Hills Church, for whatever we face, may you increase our faith, our love, and our holiness. Father, may we boast in you. And may we together proclaim Jesus is Lord. Amen.